Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today we are doing one of my favorite episodes. We are taking a look at the books that are coming out next year in 2023. I am looking at new releases coming up up till June, and then in July, I will come out with a part two where we will look at the books coming out the second half of the year. So if there are some titles missing, you may want to look at that release date and see if they fall under that. I'm telling you the doc that I make for compiling this list, I really feel like it gets longer and longer every year. (laughs) So I don't know what we'll do about that, but that is a problem for another day. And quickly, before I get into the books, I did want to mention, if you aren't aware, there is a Books in the Freezer reading challenge for 2023. If you would like to participate, you can do so on a site like Storygraph or Goodreads. I see that there's almost 200 of you on Storygraph ready to go with your picks, and that makes me so happy. I also do love to snoop and see what everyone has picked for each of the categories. And I think the categories are pretty fun this year. You know, I usually have like a, oh, pick a cover that's this color or something about this. And there's some bonus prompts this year, like a book that is food centric or a book about a fictional movie or TV show. So I'm very excited to see where you guys go with that. Um, and if you want to use that on social media, it should be hashtag BITF reading challenge 2023. So hope to see you around there. And anyway, like I said, we have so many books, so I really think we should just dive right in. So coming out January 31st is Vampire Weekend by Mike Chen. Being a vampire is far from glamorous, but it can be pretty punk rock. Everything you've heard about vampires is a lie. They can't fly, no murders allowed, the community hates that. And turning into a bat, completely ridiculous. In fact, vampire life is really just a lot of blood bags and night jobs. For Louise Chow, it's also lonely since she swore off family ages ago. At least she's gone to decades of punk rock shows, and if she can join a band of her own, you know, while keeping her situation under wraps, Maybe she'll finally feel like she belongs, too. Then a long-lost teenage relative shows up at her door, and whether it's Ian's love of music or his bad attitude, for the first time in ages, Louise feels a connection. But as Ian uncovers Louise's true identity, things get dangerous, especially when he asks her for the ultimate favor, one that goes beyond just family, one that might change everything vampires know about life and death forever. I've got something to say about this, and that is, okay, okay, that's all I can do. I don't want to get dinged, but you all knew that was coming, right? Okay, quick side story. As many of you know, I did grow up in Christian fundamentalism where we were not supposed to listen to worldly music, and that is like any music that is not Christian music. Um, I, of course, was not great about that, but because of that, I was the only one of my peers that knew who Vampire Weekend was, which led me to believe that they were like some underground indie band that I had discovered that nobody else knew about until, you know, I saw their music being used for like 
iPod commercials. And I was like, maybe they're not as underground as I had thought. But anyway, back to this book. This sounds so good. And I feel a little bit validated because I did a Patreon kind of ask me anything episode a few months back and someone asked me if there were trends that I saw in 2023 and I am telling you 2023 is the year of the vampire. Vampires are back baby. This sounds like a very sweet story. Gotta love stories about found family and I do enjoy a story about horror that also blends a love of music so I will be so excited to check this out. That is Vampire Weekend by Mike Chen coming out January 31st. Then on January 10th, we have The Nightmare Man by J.H. Markert. T. Kingfisher meets Cassandra Kaw in a chilling horror novel that illustrates the fine line between humanity and monstrosity. Blackwood Mansion looms, surrounded by nightmare pines, atop the hill over the small town of New Haven. Ben Bookman, best-selling novelist and heir to the Blackwood estate, spent a weekend at the ancestral home to finish writing his latest horror novel, The Scarecrow. Now, on the eve of the book's release, the terrible story within begins to unfold in real life. Detective Mills arrives at the scene of a gruesome murder, a family butchered and bundled inside cocoons stitched from corn husks and hung from the rafters of a barn, eerily mirroring the opening of Bookman's latest novel. When another family is killed in a similar manner, Mills, along with his daughter, rookie detective Samantha Blue, is determined to find the link to the book and the killer before the story reaches its chilling climax. As the series of scarecrow crimes continues to mirror the book, Ben quickly becomes the prime suspect. He can't remember much from the night he finished writing the novel, but he knows he wrote it in the atrium, his grandfather's forbidden room, full of numbered books, thousands of books, books without words. As Ben digs into Blackwood's history, he learns he may have triggered a release of something trapped long ago, and it won't stop with the horrors buried within the pages of his book. Feel like there's a lot to love here so you've got an author protagonist you've got book horrors leaving the page and coming to life you've got forbidden rooms in spooky mansions where protagonists did not follow one of the main rules of staying in spooky mansions even if they're your ancestral home honestly especially if they're your ancestral home you know stay out of the west wing so write that down in your horror novel survival book. But that is The Nightmare Man by J.H. Markert. And also coming out January 10th, we've got Bad Cree by Jessica Johns. In this gripping debut tinged with supernatural horror, a young Cree woman's dreams lead her on a perilous journey of self-discovery that ultimately forces her to confront the toll of a legacy of violence on her family, her community, and the land they call home. When Mackenzie wakes up with a severed crow's head in her hands, she panics. Only moments later, she had been fending off masses of birds in a snow-covered forest. In bed, when she blinks, the head disappears. Night after night, Mackenzie's dreams return her to a memory from before her sister Sabrina's untimely death. A weekend at the family's lakefront campsite, long obscured by a fog of guilt. But when the waking world starts closing in too, 
A murder of crows stalks her every move around the city. She wakes up from a dream of drowning, throwing up water, and gets threatening text messages from someone claiming to be Sabrina. Mackenzie knows this is more than she can handle alone. Traveling north to her rural hometown in Alberta, she finds her family still steeped in the same grief that she ran away to Vancouver to escape. They welcome her back, but their shaky reunion only seems to intensify her dreams and make them more dangerous. What really happened that night at the lake, and what did it have to do with Sabrina's death? Only a bad Cree would put their family at risk, but what if whatever has been calling Mackenzie home was already inside? This sounds absolutely fantastic for a number of reasons. Of course, we always want more indigenous fiction. I love protagonists facing something from their past or learning about what really happened around a traumatic memory. I love what looks like is going to be the use of dreams to help her along that path. And I am just very excited about this. So that is Bad Cree by Jessica Johns, and that'll be coming out January 10th. Next up, we have Tell Me I'm Worthless by Allison Rumfit. Three years ago, Alice spent one night in an abandoned house with her friends, Isla and Hannah. Since then, Alice's life has spiraled. She lives a haunted existence, selling videos of herself for money, going to parties she hates, drinking herself to sleep. Memories of that night torment Alice, but when Isla asks her to return to the house, to go past the keep out sign and over the sick earth where teenagers dare each other to venture, Alice knows she must go. Together, Alice and Isla must face the horrors that happened there, must pull themselves apart from the inside out, put their differences aside, and try to rescue Hannah, whom the house has chosen to make its own. So I think this is the U.S. release for this book through Tor Nightfire with a new cover. But I remember when this came out, I think it only got a U.K. release last year. But I heard nothing but good things about it. And this has been the top of my list for books coming out this year. So I am beyond excited to read it and cannot wait to. So that is Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumfit. Next up, we have Extended Stay by Juan Martinez. This is coming out January 10th. In a rundown neighborhood in the heart of Las Vegas, the Alicia Hotel awakens and beckons to the most vulnerable, those with something to hide. After his parents are killed in a horrific roadside execution, Alvaro flees his home in Colombia and finds work as a line cook at the CD Hotel. Together with his sister Carmen, he begins to make a new life in the desert, earning a promotion to management, along with an irresistible offer to stay at the hotel rent-free. But as beloved photographs go missing, cockroaches seep from the walls, and grotesque strangers wander the corridors, the promise of the Alicia decays into nightmare. Alvaro discovers that the hotel is a small appendage of an enormous creature that feeds on guests and their secrets one that will eventually bring him face to face with the memories he most wants to outrun. Alvaro, Carmen, and their friends decide to cooperate with the creature rather than fight it. But in their efforts to appease it, 
Do they sacrifice too much of themselves? Haunting and visceral, Extended Stay uses the language of body horror and the gothic to comment on the complicated relationship between the Latinx undocumented experience and capitalism, the erasure of those living and working on the margins, the heavy toll exacted by memory, and the queasy permeability of boundaries that separate the waking world from the world of dreams. just wow Um, there's so much to dig into just in that synopsis alone which leads me to believe this is a book that i absolutely need to read i am so intrigued by this that is extended stay coming out january 10th by juan martinez up next how to sell a haunted house by grady hendrix Every childhood home is haunted, and each of us are possessed by our parents. When their parents die at the tail end of the coronavirus pandemic, Louise and Mark Joyner are devastated, but nothing can prepare them for how bad things are about to get. The two siblings are almost totally estranged, and couldn't be more different. Now, however, they don't have a choice but to get along. The virus has passed, and both of them are facing bank accounts ravaged by the economic meltdown. Their one asset? Their childhood home. They need to get it on the market as soon as possible, because they need the money. Yet, before their parents died, they taped newspaper over the mirrors and nailed shut the attic door. Sometimes we feel like puppets, controlled by our upbringing and our genes. Sometimes we feel like our parents treat us like toys, or playthings, or even dolls. The past can ground us, teach us, and keep us safe. It can also trap us and bind us, and suffocate the life out of us. As disturbing events stack up in the house, Louise and Mark have to learn that sometimes the only way to break away from the past, sometimes the only way to sell a haunted house, is to burn it all down. We all know that I am a big Grady Hendrix fangirl. I am so excited. It's always a good year when we get a new book, and I've been so excited for this one. I will say I did read this at the end of last year, and I really liked it. I felt there was a lot to dig into and think about, which I really liked. Also some gnarly, gnarly body horror, and maybe you'll hear more about it on the next episode. Maybe from Grady himself. Who knows? Who knows? So definitely keep your eyes out for that. That is How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. Up next, episode 13 by Craig DeLewy. A ghost hunting reality TV crew gain unprecedented access to an abandoned and supposedly haunted mansion, which promises a groundbreaking 13th episode. But as they uncover the secret history of the house, they learn that reality TV might be all too real. Fade to Black is the newest hit ghost hunting reality TV show. It's led by husband and wife team Matt and Claire Kirkland and features a dedicated crew of ghost hunting experts. Episode 13 takes them to Matt's holy grail, the Paranormal Research Foundation. This crumbling, derelict mansion holds secrets and clues about the bizarre experiments that took place there in the 1970s. It's also 
undoubtedly haunted. And Matt hopes to use their scientific techniques and high-tech gear to prove it. But as the house begins to slowly reveal itself to them, proof of an afterlight might not be everything Matt dreamed of. A story told in broken pieces, in tapes, journals, correspondence, and research files, this is the story of episode 13, and how everything went horribly wrong. So this is actually my current read, and I could not be more happy with it. Craig DeLuey wrote an absolute five-star book for me with the children of Red Peak. I have been saying for years that we need more reality TV horror. I love the epistolary format. It leaves a bit of a found footage feel with this that I am really enjoying. And this just couldn't be more perfect for me, especially just at this time. So that is episode 13 by Craig DeLuey. Next up is All Hallows by Christopher Golden. With the 80s nostalgia of Stranger Things, this horror drama from New York Times bestselling author Christopher Golden follows neighborhood families and a mysterious lurking evil on one Halloween day. It's Halloween night, 1984, in Coventry, Massachusetts, and two families are unraveling. Up and down the street, horrifying secrets are being revealed, and all the while, mixed in with the trick-or-treaters of all ages, Four children who do not belong are walking door to door, merging with the kids of Parmenter Road, children in vintage costumes with faded, eerie makeup. They seem terrified and beg the neighborhood kids to hide them away, to keep them safe from the cunning man. There's a small clearing in the woods now that was never there before, and a blackthorn tree that doesn't belong there at all. These odd children claim that the cunning man is coming for them, and they want the local kids to protect them. But with families falling apart and the neighborhood splintered by bitterness, who will save the children of Parmenter Road? Ooh, this sounds very creepy and obviously very Halloween-y. But also, if I'm not mistaken, I think Coventry, Massachusetts is the same town that Christopher Golden's, one of his other books, Snowblind, takes place in. So it's kind of like a... Christopher Golden Universe novel. Also, I can't be the only person who finds children in vintage Halloween costumes creepy. Like, do you ever look at those pictures of like Halloween parties from the the 40s and just see people's costumes and just think how absolutely terrifying they look? I think unintentionally, I don't think that's what they're going for, but they just are. So anyway, that is All Hallows by Christopher Golden. Moving on to February, we have The Spite House by Johnny Compton. Eric Ross is on the run from a mysterious past with his two daughters in tow. Having left his wife, his house, his whole life behind in Maryland, he's desperate for money. It's not easy to find safe work when you can't provide references. You can't stay in one place for long, and you're paranoid your past is creeping back up on you. When he comes across the strange ad for the Masson House in Degener, Texas, Eric thinks they may have finally caught a lucky break. The Masson property, notorious for being one of the most haunted places in Texas, needs a caretaker of sorts. The owner is looking for proof of paranormal activity, 
All they need to do is stay in the house and keep a detailed record of everything that happens there, provided the house's horrors don't drive them all mad, like the caretakers before them. The job calls to Eric, not just because there's a huge payout if they can make it through, but because he wants to explore the secrets of the Spite House. If it is indeed haunted, maybe it'll help him understand the uncanny power that clings to his family, driving them from town to town, making them afraid to stop running. A terrifying gothic thriller about grief and death and the depths of a father's love, Johnny Compton's The Spite House is a stunning debut by a horror master in the making. So I have this one sitting on my shelf now. I am very excited to get to it. Um, I mean, digging into what I've learned from horror stories and horror novels, um, it's that when you take a caretaker position at a big hotel or mansion with your two daughters, nothing bad will happen and it'll totally be fine. So that is The Spite House by Johnny Compton. Next up, we have the second installment in the Lake Witch Trilogy, Don't Fear the Reaper by Stephen Graham Jones. Four years after her tumultuous senior year, Jade Daniels is released from prison right before Christmas when her conviction is overturned. But Life Beyond Bars takes a dangerous turn as soon as she returns to Proofrock. Convicted serial killer Dark Mill South, seeking revenge for the 38 Dakota men hanged in 1862, escapes from his prison transfer due to a blizzard just outside Proofrock, Idaho. Dark Mill South's reunion tour began on December 12, 2019, a Thursday. 36 hours and 20 bodies later on Friday the 13th, it would be over. So this is, of course, the sequel to My Heart is a Chainsaw, which I absolutely adored. I cannot wait to spend more time with Jade Daniels. She is one of my favorite protagonists in horror books in recent history. I'm sure she will have a lot to say about uh, people screwing up a prison transfer. It's so close to Friday the 13th. I feel like you should know. Don't do prison transfers on Halloween. And definitely don't do them, even close. Like it didn't happen on Friday the 13th, but just give it like a wide berth. Stay away from Friday the 13th when doing uh, prison transfers for convicted serial killers. I am so excited for this one. So that, of course, is Don't Fear the Reaper. That is the second book in the Lake Witch trilogy by Stephen Graham Jones. Next up, we have The Shoemaker's Magician by Cynthia Palayo. A fabled lost movie, an increasing body count. How much do you risk for art? Paloma has been watching the Grand Vespertilio show her entire life. Grand, America's most beloved horror host, showcases classic, low-budget, and cult horror movies with a flourish, wearing his black tuxedo and hat. But Paloma has noticed something strange about Grand. Stranger than his dark makeup and gothic television set. After Paloma's husband, a homicide detective, discovers an obscure movie poster pinned on a mutilated corpse on the stage at the Chicago theater, she knows that the only person that can help solve this mystery is Grand. 
When another body appears at an abandoned historic movie palace, the deaths prove to be connected to a silent film lost to the ages, but somehow at the center of countless tragedies in Chicago. The closer Paloma gets to Grand, she discovers that his reach is far greater than her first love, horror movies, and even this film. And she soon becomes trapped between protecting a silent movie that's contributed to so much death in her city and the life of her young son. I was very excited when this was announced. The Children of Chicago was one of my favorite books the year that I read it. And I'm very excited to see a follow-up. Also, it's a book about a fictional silent movie. Hint, hint. That's for the Books in the Freezer Reading Challenge. Uh, But I am so excited for this one. That is The Shoemaker's Magician by Cynthia Palaio. Next up, we have Gothic by Philip Fricassi. On his 59th birthday, Tyson Parks, a famous but struggling horror writer, receives an antique desk from his partner Sarah in the hopes it will rekindle his creative juices, perhaps inspire him to write another best-selling novel and prove his best years aren't behind him. A continent away, a mysterious woman makes inquiries with her sources around the world, seeking the whereabouts of a certain artifact her family has been hunting for centuries. With the help of a New York City private detective, she finally finds what she's been looking for. It's in the home of Tyson Parks. Meanwhile, as Tyson begins to use his new desk, he begins acting strange, violent, his writing more disturbing than anything he's done before. But publishers are paying top dollar, convinced his new work will be a hit and Tyson will do whatever it takes to protect his newfound success, even if it means the destruction of the ones he loves, even if it means his own sanity. I will say what originally intrigued me about this was the cover. It's very striking, but upon reading that it is about a horror novelist being possibly possessed by a haunted desk to write disturbing horror novels, I'm fully in for this ride. Like, let's see where we are going. I cannot wait. Also, um, this is an author I have heard nothing but great things about. So I am very excited to pick this up. That is Gothic by Philip Fricassi. Next up, we have The Black Guy Dies First, Black Horror Cinema from Fodder to Oscar by Robin R. Means Coleman and Mark H. Harris. The Black Eye Dice First explores the black journey in modern horror cinema from the fodder epitomized by Spider Baby to the Oscar-winning cinematic heights of Get Out and beyond. This eye-opening book delves into the themes, tropes, and trails that have come to characterize black roles in horror since 1968, a year in which race made national headlines and iconic moments from the enactments of the 1968 Civil Rights Act and Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination in April This timely book is a must-read for cinema and horror fans alike. This is on my wish list. I added it, of course, because it is about horror, but also a great pick if you're looking for some spooky nonfiction for the Books in the Freezer reading challenge. I mean, I think as horror fans, for a lot of us, horror extends beyond 
books and does go into movies and I find it absolutely fascinating to read about that and I know a lot of people were big fans of the Shutter documentary Horror Noir that detailed black representation in horror films so I cannot wait for this that is The Black Guy Dies First Black Horror Cinema from Fodder to Oscar and that is by Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman and Mark H. Harris. Next up is Sister Maiden Monster by Lucy A. Snyder. To survive, they must evolve. A virus tears across the globe, transforming its victims in nightmarish ways. As the world collapses, dark forces pull a small group of women together. Erin, once quiet and closeted, acquires an appetite for a woman and her brain. Why does forbidden fruit taste so good? Savannah, a professional BDSM switch discovers a new turn-on, committing brutal murders for her eldritch masters. Mareva, plagued with chronic tumors, is too horrified to acknowledge her divine role in the coming apocalypse, and as her growths multiply, so does her desperation. Inspired by her Bram Stoker award-winning story, Magdala Amygdala, Lucy A. Snyder delivers a cosmic tale about the planet's disastrous transformation and what we become after. So this sounds absolutely wild. I'm very interested to read this like cosmic apocalyptic story. This is on my shelf right now. So I'm excited to, to get to it because everything about this honestly just sounds bonkers. And I am very curious to read this type of story told through the perspective of these three women. So that is Sister Maiden Monster by Lucy A. Snyder. Next up is She is a Haunting by Trang Tan Tran. When Jade Nguyen arrives in Vietnam for a visit with her estranged father, she has one goal, survive five weeks pretending to be a happy family in the French colonial house Ba is restoring. She's always lied to fit in, so if she's straight enough, Vietnamese enough, American enough, she can get out with the college money he promised. But the house has other plans. Night after night, Jade wakes up paralyzed. The walls exude a thrumming sound while bugs leave their legs and feelers in places they don't belong. She finds curious traces of her ancestors in the gardens they once tended, and at night, Jade can't ignore the ghost of the beautiful bride who leaves her cryptic warnings. Don't eat. Neither Ba nor her sweet sister Lily believe there's anything strange happening. With help from a delinquent girl, Jade will prove this house, the home her family has always wanted, will not rest until it destroys them. Maybe this time she can keep her family together. As she roots out the house's rot, she must also face the truth of who she is and who she must become to save them all. This sounds so good, and I've seen it advertised for fans of Mexican Gothic, which is a book I loved. So I am very excited to read this. Um, everything about it just seems so interesting and so fascinating. So that is She is a Haunting by Jessica Tantran. Next up, we have The Destroyer of Worlds, A Return to Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. Summer, 1957. Atticus Turner and his father Montrose travel to North Carolina, where they plan to mark the centennial of their ancestors' escape from slavery by retracing the route he took into the Great Dismal Swamp. 
but an encounter with an old nemesis turns their historical reenactment into a real life-and-death pursuit. Back in Chicago, George Berry fights for his own life. Diagnosed with cancer, he strikes a devil's bargain with the ghost of Hiram Winthrop, who promises a miracle cure. But to receive it, George will first have to bring Winthrop back from the dead. Meanwhile, 15-year-old Horace Berry, reeling from the killing of a close friend, joins his mother Hippolyta and her friend Letitia Dandridge on a research trip to Nevada for the Safe Negro Travel Guide. But Hippolyta has a secret and far more dangerous agenda that will take her and Horace to the far end of the universe and bring a new threat home to Letitia's doorstep. Hippolyta isn't the only one keeping secrets. Letitia's sister Ruby has been leading a double life as her white alter ego, Hilary Hyde. Now the supply of magic potions she needs to transform herself is nearly gone, and a surprise visitor throws her already tenuous situation into complete chaos. Yet, these troubles are soon eclipsed by the return of Caleb Braithwaite. Stripped of his magic and banished from Chicago at the end of Lovecraft Country, he's found a way back into power and is ready to pick up where he left off. But first, he has a score to settle. I am so excited to revisit this world, revisit these characters. I was kind of sad that the HBO series didn't get renewed for a second season. But on the bright side, we do get this. We get more stories with these characters. And I am just so excited. As I said before, Lovecraft Country was one of my favorite books the year that I read it. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've been saying I can't wait to, to see what these characters are up to. That is The Destroyer of Worlds, A Return to Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. And moving into March with Mothered by Zoya Stage. Grace isn't exactly thrilled when her newly widowed mother, Jackie, asks to move in with her. They've never had a great relationship. And Grace likes her space, especially now that she's stuck at home during a pandemic. Then again, she needs help with the mortgage after losing her job, and maybe it'll be a chance for them to bond, or at least give each other a hand. But living with mother isn't for everyone. Good intentions turn bad soon after Jackie moves in. Old wounds fester, new ones open. Grace starts having nightmares about her disabled twin sister, who died when they were kids. And Jackie discovers that Grace secretly catfishes people online, a hobby Jackie thinks is unforgivable. When Jackie makes an earth-shattering accusation against her, Grace sees it as an act of revenge, and it sends her spiraling into sleep-deprived madness. As the walls close in, the ghosts of Grace's past collide with a new but familiar threat. Mom. I don't know if you've seen the cover for this book, but I absolutely love it. It just is a like a pair of scissors on a dark background, and it's just very striking. I am very excited to read it. I've been really drawn to maternal horror. I feel like we've seen a bit more of it in recent years, and you know what? I am cool with that. I find that a very interesting and fascinating subgenre to get into, and I mean, who doesn't love a bad mom horror story? So that is Mothered by Zoya Stage. Next up, we have The Beasts of 42nd Street by Preston Fassel. In the kingdom of the damned that is 42nd Street, there's no lowlier subject than Andy Liu, 
an unrepentant junkie, voyeur, and degenerate. He's only tolerated by the more dangerous men around him because he keeps the projectors at the Colossus Theater running on time, entertaining them with the most extreme horror cinema money can buy. There's something unique about Andy, though. He owns a movie. It's the only one of its kind. No one knows who made it. Only he knows where it came from. The woman it stars is beautiful beyond imagination, and the images it depicts are more nightmarish than the darkest depths of hell. The beasts of 42nd Street will do anything to possess it, but there's something they don't understand. Andy loves the woman in the movie, and he'll go to any lengths to protect her. A savage love letter to 70s exploitation cinema and a biting satire of toxic fan culture Beasts of 42nd Street makes horror dangerous as it ventures into the mind of a psychopath like no other, one that will have readers recoiling even as they keep coming back for more. So this sounds very good and very dark, which I always find very fascinating about the horror genre that um, like Preston is such a pleasant and funny guy. And I just love that dichotomy of these like very happy, pleasant, upbeat people writing this dark, depraved stuff will just always bring a smile to my face. So that is The Beasts of 42nd Street by Preston Fassell. Next up is Piñata by Leopoldo Gout. Carmen Sanchez is back in her home country of Mexico, overseeing the renovation of an ancient cathedral into a boutique hotel. Her teen daughters, Isel and Luna, are with her for the summer and left to fill their afternoons unsupervised in a foreign city. The locals treat the Sanchez women like outsiders, while Carmen's contractors openly defy and sabotage her work. After a disastrous accident at the construction site nearly injures Luna, Carmen's had enough. They're leaving. Back in New York, Luna begins acting strange and only Isel notices the chilling changes happening to her younger sister. But it might be too late for the Sanchez family to escape what's been awakened. Piñata is a bone-chilling story about how the sinister repercussions of our past can return to haunt us. As you can imagine, there is so much I love about this, but I do want to point out that it is being sold as kind of a head full of ghosts meets hereditary and you know that's like I can't stay away from that those are the perfect buzzwords for me how can I not pick this up lucky for me I do um, have this on my shelf ready to read and I am beyond excited I don't even think you can understand how excited I am that is Piñata by Leopoldo Gout next up we have Lone Women by Victor Laval Blue skies, empty land, and enough room to hide away a horrifying secret. Or is there? Discover a haunting new vision of the American West from the award-winning author of The Changeling. Adelaide Henry carries an enormous steamer trunk with her wherever she goes. It's locked at all times, because when the trunk is opened, people around her start to disappear. The year is 1914, and Adelaide is in trouble. Her secret sin killed her parents and forced her to flee her hometown of Redondo, California in a hellfire rush, ready to make her way to Montana as a homesteader. 
Dragging the trunk with her at every stop, she will be one of the lone women taking advantage of the government's offer for free land for those who can cultivate it. Except that Adelaide isn't alone, and the secret she's tried so desperately to lock away might be the only thing keeping her alive. Told in Victor Lavelle's signature style, blending historical fiction, shimmering prose, and inventive horror, Lone Women is the gripping story of a woman desperate to bury her past, and a portrait of early 20th century America like you've never seen. As someone who has enjoyed all of Victor Lavelle's books, you can bet your bottom dollar that I will be picking this up this year. I am so excited for it. And I love this blend of historical fiction with horror. This government program in the early 20th century is something that I knew about. I mean, in that I knew that it happened, but I'm definitely interested to learn more. And I would love to learn more through this story. And then hopefully this story sent me through, you know, Wikipedia rabbit holes as the best historical fiction does. So I am so excited for this. That is Lone Women by Victor Laval. Next up, we have A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. Mom seems off. Her brother's words echo in Sam Montgomery's ear as she turns onto the quiet North Carolina street where their mother lives alone. She brushes the thought away as she climbs the front steps. Sam's excited for this rare extended visit and looking forward to the nights with just the two of them, drinking boxed wine, watching murder mystery shows, and guessing who the killer is long before the characters figure it out. But stepping inside, she quickly realizes home isn't what it used to be. Gone is the warm, cluttered charm her mom is known for. Now the walls are painted a sterile white. Her mom jumps at the smallest noise and looks over her shoulder, even when she's the only person in the room. And when Sam steps out back to clear her head, she finds a jar of teeth hidden behind the magazine-worthy rose bushes, and vultures are circling the garden above. To find out what's got her mom so frightened in her own home, Sam will go digging for the truth, but some secrets are best left buried. I feel like I've been seeing stuff for this book for forever and that has done nothing but pique my interest because I do love the cover. I love haunted house stories. I love stories about family secrets. I am just basically here for it. So that is A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. And then moving on to April with House of Cotton by Monica Brashears. 19 years old, broke, and effectively an orphan, Magnolia doesn't have much to look forward to. She feels stuck and haunted by her overdrawn bank account, by her predatory landlord, by the ghost of her late grandmother, Mama Brown. One night while working at her dead-end gas station job, a mysterious, slick stranger named Cotton walks in and offers to turn Magnolia's luck around. He offers her a lucrative modeling job at his family's funeral home. Magnolia accepts, but despite things looking up, Magnolia's problems fatten along with her wallet. When Cotton's requests become increasingly weird, Magnolia discovers there's a lot more at stake than just her rent. Sharp as a belted knife, this sly social commentary cuts straight to the bone, revealing the aftermath of the American plantation and what it means to be poor, black, and a woman in the God-fearing South. 
I'm interested in reading this for a lot of reasons. First of all, yes, the cover is pretty, um, but the plot sounds fascinating. It sounds kind of weird and gothic and gritty. And I do love stories that examine race in America through the lens of horror. I'm very interested to learn more about this cotton figure. I'm very interested to know what this modeling job entails. Like, There's a lot of questions I need to know. So that is House of Cotton by Monica Brashears. Next up is The Insatiable Volt Sisters by Rachel Eve Moulton. It's the summer of 1989, and Beatrice and Henrietta Volt are coming of age on remote Fowler Island in Lake Erie, their ancestral home and wild playground. Thicker than thieves, they plot their futures while their parents pick their marriage apart piece by piece. The girls have no idea that their parents are separated, or that the plan is to separate them. Ten years passed, and Henry gets a call from her sister. Their father has died, and suddenly, Bibi needs Henry to come back to the island for the funeral. When Henry arrives, the island seems even stranger than she remembers. But the truth is, she doesn't remember much about the island, and nothing at all about the night she left. She just feels a vague and perplexing sense of dread and a sharp fear of the quarry pond behind the house. Told from the perspective of four flawed and fascinating women, the insatiable Volt sisters is a lush, enthralling fable about monsters real and imagined, and the sometimes painful bonds of sisterhood. I don't know if you remember, but this is the book that Paul Tremblay was reading um, when he came on the podcast to talk about the Paul Bears Club and unreliable narrators. I'm assuming since he was reading it that early that he was reading it to blurb it. But I can say since then, I have been very, very excited to get my hands on this book. I really enjoyed um, Rachel Eve Moulton's novel, The Tinfoil Butterfly. I talked about it on that episode. And just hearing more about the plot, I absolutely need to read this. That is The Insatiable Volt Sisters by Rachel Eve Moulton. The Scourge Between Stars by Ness Brown. As acting captain of the starship Calypso, Jacqueline Albright is responsible for keeping the last of humanity alive as they limp back to Earth from their forebears' failed colony on a distant planet. Faced with constant threats of starvation and destruction in the treacherous minefield of interstellar space, Jacqueline's crew has reached their breaking point. As unrest begins to spread throughout the ship's wards, a new threat emerges, picking off crew members in grim, bloody fashion. Jacqueline and her team must hunt down the ship's intruder if they have any hope of making it back to their solar system alive. This is ticking off so many boxes. So this is a sci-fi horror novella, which I love. It sounds very claustrophobic. It sounds creepy. It's in space. We're talking about a generation ship. I just love this. Cannot wait to read this. That is The Scourge Between Stars by Ness Brown. Next up, we have The Haunting of Alejandra by V. Castro. Alejandra no longer knows who she is. To her husband, she is a wife, and to her children, a mother. To her own adoptive mother, she is a daughter, but they cannot see who Alejandra has become. A woman struggling with a darkness that threatens to consume her, 
nor can they see what Alejandra sees. In times of despair, a ghostly vision appears to her, the apparition of a crying woman in a ragged white gown. When Alejandra visits a therapist, she begins exploring her family's history, starting with the biological mother she never knew. As she goes deeper into the lives of the women in her family, she learns that heartbreak and tragedy are not the only things she has in common with her ancestors. Because the crying woman was with them too, she is La Llorona, the vengeful and murderous mother of Mexican legend, and she will not leave until Alejandra follows her mother, her grandmother, and all the women who came before her into the darkness. But Alejandra has inherited more than just pain. She has inherited the strength and the courage of her foremothers, and she will have to summon everything they have given her to banish La Llorona forever. I am very much looking forward to having another B. Castro book out in the world. The cover for this is gorgeous. It's bright. It's floral. It's creepy. It's everything you could possibly imagine. And as someone whose mother uh, used to tell her about La Llorona to effectively scare her, you know, I'm very interested in this. You know, I absolutely have to read this. So that is The Haunting of Alejandra by V. Castro. We have an anthology coming out from Ghoulish Books that is Bound in Flesh, an anthology of trans body horror, which is bringing together 13 trans and non-binary writers using horror to both explore the darkest depths of the genre and the boundaries of flesh, a disgusting good time for all. Featuring stories by Haley Piper, Joe Koch, Bitter Corella, and others. This is edited by Next up, we have This Delicious Death by Kayla Cottingham. For best friends, when music festival and a cooler filled with human organs, this summer is about to get gory. Three years ago, the melting of Arctic permafrost released a pathogen of unknown origin into the atmosphere, causing a small percentage of people to undergo a transformation that became known as the hollowing. Those impacted slowly became intolerant to normal food and were only able to gain sustenance by consuming the flesh of other human beings. Those who went without flesh quickly became feral, turning on their friends and family. However, scientists were able to create a synthetic version of human meat that would satisfy the hunger of those impacted by the hollowing. As a result, humanity slowly began to return to normal albeit with lasting fear and distrust for the people they'd pejoratively dubbed ghouls. Zoe, Celeste, Valeria, and Jasmine are all ghouls living in Southern California. As a last hurrah before their graduation, they decide to attend a music festival in the desert. They have a cooler filled with hard seltzers and sin flesh and are ready to party. But on the first night of the festival, Val goes feral and ends up killing and eating a boy. As other festival guests start disappearing around them, the girls soon discover someone is drugging ghouls and making them feral. And if they can't figure out how to stop it, and soon, no one at the festival is safe. 
So this is being pitched for fans of Jennifer's Body, which I can absolutely see. I think it'd also be interesting to look into the sudden rise of cannibalism in horror fiction. Uh, Not complaining, just interested. Just think it's a very, very fascinating trend. I love the cover for this. It's like a bloody cooler. So it looks like it's going to be, you know, like a YA horror comedy. Can't wait to read it. That is This Delicious Death by Kayla Cottingham. And moving right along into May, which some people think is actually the best month of the year. And you know what? I think those people are right. So coming out May 2nd from Ghoulish Books is Conjuring the Witch by Jessica Leonard. There are witches in the woods. These are the words the Reverend of Lillen Assembly of Our Lord repeats to his parishioners each week. Steve and Nicole Warby think it's just a metaphor. Until Nicole takes a walk in those woods and comes back changed, something came out of them with her. And the simple, small-town life they've always known is forever altered when they discover the dark secrets buried deep and those intent on keeping them there. Fearing for his wife's sanity and his own comfortable status in the church, Steve is unsure if he wants to help or ignore the problems. The Reverend believes there are witches in the woods, and he thinks Nicole is only the most recent. Conjuring the Witch is a dark, haunted story about what those in power are willing to do to stay in power, and the sins we convince ourselves are forgivable. Ooh, that gave me chills. I am very interested in reading this because of my deep fascination of, like, witchy and religious horror, so... I will definitely be checking that out. Again, that is coming out May 2nd, and that is Conjuring the Witch by Jessica Leonard. Following that with a new novella by Cassandra Kaw, The Salt Grows Heavy. After murdering her husband and burning his kingdom to cinders, a mermaid joins a strange doctor on a journey through the eerie taiga. Deep in the woods, the pair stumble upon a village full of seemingly ageless children and the three surgeons who oversee them, called only the saints. After discovering the villagers' taste for a sinister blood sport, the mermaid and her companion must embrace the darkest parts of their true nature if they hope to survive. This novella sounds absolutely fascinating. I personally really enjoyed Nothing But Blackened Teeth, so I cannot wait to dive in. The cover looks gorgeous. I just need to know. I need to know what's going on. I need to know just more. So that is The Salt Grows Heavy by Cassandra Ka. Next up is Killing It by Mike Bakovan. Since the late 1980s, The Square has been one of the most important clubs in New York for the alt-comedy scene. But before that, it was something much darker, and is now a place where evil lingers, waiting for a chance to spill blood. After a night of killing on stage, four comics find themselves in a desperate situation as the spirits of the past come out to play, and a fight for laughs becomes a fight for survival in the most unlikely of places. 
I don't know that I've read a ton of stand-up comedy horror, but I am very interested to try it out. And Mike Bakovin is the same author that wrote Fantastic Land that I absolutely loved. So I'm kind of interested to see what spilled over, like if it has a similar multiple perspective epistolary type setup. And yeah, I mean, the premise just sounds very intriguing. So that is Killing It by Mike Bakovin. And coming out May 9th, we have The Graveyard of Lost Children by Katrina Monroe. Once she has her grip on you, she'll never let you go. At four months old, Olivia Dahl was almost murdered. Driven by haunting visions, her mother became obsessed with the idea that Olivia was a changeling and that the only way to get her real baby back was to make a trade with the dead woman living at the bottom of the well. Now, Olivia is ready to give birth to a daughter of her own, and for the first time, she hears the women whispering. Everyone tells Olivia she should be happy, she should be glowing, but the birth of her daughter only fills Olivia with dread. As Olivia's body starts giving out, slowly deteriorating as the baby eats and eats and eats, she begins to fear that the baby isn't her daughter at all, and despite her best efforts, history is repeating itself. Soon, images of a black-haired woman plague Olivia's nightmares, drawing her back to the well that almost claimed her life, tying mother and daughter together in a desperate cycle of fear and violence that must be broken if Olivia has any hope of saving her child or herself. Ooh, it sounds really good. And this is being pitched as Baby Teeth meets The Invited. Which definitely has me intrigued. But we've got some motherhood horror in this book looking like postpartum horror, which is something that I am very interested in. So that is The Graveyard of Lost Children by Katrina Monroe coming out May 9th. And moving on into June with All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. Titus Crown is the first black sheriff in the history of Charon County. A former FBI agent and security expert, Titus came home to take care of his father and look out for his troubled younger brother. He ran for sheriff to make a difference, especially in the black community, which has so often been treated unfairly by the police. But a year to the day after his election, a school shooting rocks the town. A beloved teacher is killed by a former student, and as Titus attempts to de-escalate and get the boy to surrender, his deputies fire a fatal shot. In the investigation, it becomes clear that the student they shot had been abused by the dead teacher, as well as unidentified perpetrators. The trail leads to buried bodies and secrets. While Titus tries to track down a killer in plain sight, while balancing daily duties like protecting Confederate pride marchers, he must face what it means to be a black man wearing a police uniform in the American South. I read Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Was it last year or the year before? Time is a puddle. But I absolutely loved it and loved it so much that I knew that I wanted to read anything else that S.A. Cosby wrote. Um, I still have to go back and read Blacktop Wasteland, but I saw that he had a new book coming out this year and I knew that I absolutely had to check it out. So that is All the Sinners Bleed 
by S.A. Cosby. Next up, we have Everything the Darkness Eats by Eric LaRocca. An insidious darkness threatens to devastate a rural New England village when occult forces are conjured and when bigotry is left unrestrained. After a recent string of disappearances in a small Connecticut town, a grieving widower with a grim secret is drawn into a dangerous ritual of dark magic by a powerful and mysterious older gentleman named Hart Crowley. Meanwhile, a member of local law enforcement tasked with uncovering the culprit responsible for the bizarre disappearances soon begins to learn of a current unbridled hatred simmering beneath the guise of the town's idyllic community. A hatred that will eventually burst and forever change the lives of those who once found peace in the quiet town of Henley's Edge. I really enjoy Eric LaRocca's work, and I believe this is his first novel. Because I think he's done novellas and short story collections, you know, individual short stories. So I am very, very interested to check this out. That is Everything the Darkness Eats by Eric LaRocca. Next up, we have Maeve Fly by C.J. Lead. By day, Maeve Fly works at the happiest place in the world as every child's favorite ice princess. By the neon night glow of the sunset strip, Maeve haunts the dive bars with a drink in one hand and a book in the other, imitating her misanthropic literary heroes. But when Gideon Green, her best friend's brother, moves to town, he awakens something dangerous within her, and the world she knows suddenly shifts beneath her feet. Untethered, Maeve ditches her discontented act and tries on a new persona, a bolder, bloodier one, inspired by the pages of American Psycho. Step aside, Patrick Bateman. It's Maeve's turn with the knife. I have heard really good stuff about this from people that have read the book, and I am just very, very interested to see what it's about, what's going on. The cover looks very striking. I just, I'm just so intrigued. I, I must know what is going on. So that is Mavefly by CJ Lead. Next up, we have The Reformatory by Tanana Reeve Dew. A gripping, page-turning novel set in Jim Crow, Florida that follows Robert Stephen Jones as he's sent to a segregated reform school that is a chamber of terrors where he sees the horrors of racism and injustice for the living and the dead. Gracetown, Florida, summer, 1950. Robert Stephen Jones Jr. is sent to Gracetown School for Boys for kicking a white boy's leg. But the Gracetown School for Boys isn't just any reform school. As Robert finds, it's a segregated school that is haunted from the boys who have died there. The Reformatory is an eerie, frightening novel that explores the horrors of our history. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I was to know that Tanana Reeve Du was going to release a new novel this year. Like the scream that I screamed when I found that out. You wouldn't even know. This sounds absolutely fascinating. This is, I mean, I've been saying that a lot, but this is like top of my list priority. I cannot wait 
cannot wait to get my hands on this. And it's been a few years since I've read it, but it says this takes place in Gracetown, Florida. And I believe, don't quote me on this because I said it's been a long time since I read it, but I believe that is also the town where all the stories from her short story collection, Ghost Summer, take place in. So if that's the case, that is very cool. Honestly, even if it's not the case, still pretty cool. Still just as excited to read it. That is The Reformatory by Tanana Reeve Dew. Next up, we have Night's Edge by Liz Karen. Moms can really suck. Having a mom like Izzy meant Mia had to grow up fast. No extracurriculars, no inviting friends over, and definitely no dating. The most important rule, tell no one of Izzy's hunger. The one only blood can satisfy. But Mia is tired of being her mother's keeper. She's in her 20s now and longs for a life of her own, one where she doesn't have to worry about anyone discovering their terrible secret or breathing down her neck. When Mia meets rebellious musician Jade, she dares to hope she's found a way to leave her home and her mom behind. It just might be Mia's only chance of getting out alive. Okay, so we've got some mom horror and vampire horror. This is a very interesting dynamic where the daughter's placed in kind of like a caretakery familiar role. And yeah, the toll that that would take on her. It's very fascinating. I am quite interested to read this one. Also, yeah, vampires. So that is The Night's Edge by Liz Karen. Next up, we have Sucker by Daniel Hornsby. Bad blood meets succession in this sharp-toothed satire of Silicon Valley and the 1%, in which the black sheep son of an industrial tycoon starts working for a tech pioneer who's running a biomedical startup selling nothing less than immortality, only to uncover the horrifying truth at the heart of her sublime promises. Chuck Gross would like nothing more than to prune himself from his family tree. He's already clipped his name, turning Charles Grosshart Jr., son of a billionaire labor exploiter, weapons manufacturer, and climate change denier, into ordinary good guy Chuck, the self-made proprietor of an up-and-coming punk label. But when Daddy threatens to cut him off, Chuck is forced to get a real job. And conveniently, an old college friend has just swept back into his life with the perfect opportunity. Famed Harvard dropout and biotech darling Olivia Watts says she's on the verge of totally reinventing the field of medicine. But when Chuck signs on, he soon discovers that things at the vast Kenosis campus are not quite how they appear. Secret labs, vanished employees, and mutated test subjects seem to be as impossible as they are sinister. Is Olivia simply a scammer, or does her technology threaten to usher humanity toward a far bloodier fate? Moreover, does Chuck, who has never accomplished anything without the aid of daddy's money, stand a chance at stopping her? Daniel Hornsby hilariously skewers the insatiable hungers of the ultra-rich in a novel that no one will be able to resist sinking their teeth into. I love a dark comedy and you know you know they were gonna get me with the bad blood meets succession but I did not know this was gonna be 
obviously very heavily inspired by Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, which is just its own messy thing to look into. So, I mean, I guess that makes the perfect fodder for satire. I can't wait. That is Sucker by Daniel Hornsby. And that is the episode. I do always try to mention that this is by no means an exhaustive list. I do try to do as much research as I can and include as many books as I can, but there's always going to be something I missed. And there are a lot of resources to look into that. Um, If you follow me on social media, I will try to announce books that get announced uh, between now and the next episode as best that I can. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on TikTok at Books in the Freezer, or you can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes will be at booksinthefreezer.com. I will include in the show notes for this episode a link to the HarperCollins Union materials, um, and I will point out HarperCollins books that may have been mentioned so you can make an educated decision regarding those titles. I would also like to thank The Dark Piano for providing the music for these new release episodes. It's my favorite part, and I really think it adds something special to these new release episodes. So thank you so much. Books in the Freezer is also an independent podcast uh, and currently a one-person operation. (laughs) So if you would like to show your support for the podcast, there are a few ways to do that. Probably the easiest way is to leave a review on a site like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, I would love to hit 250 reviews on Apple Podcasts. I think currently we are at 229. So I would really appreciate it if you would take some time out to write a nice review. I mean, I would prefer a five-star review, but I'm not you. I don't run your life. I don't tell you what to rate this podcast. Um, You can also do it on Spotify and you don't need to write anything on Spotify. You can just leave a star review if you've listened to an episode on Spotify. Speaking of reviews, I wanted to take a moment to read the latest review on Apple Podcast titled Great Reader Recommendations, Five Stars, Well Worth a Listen for Reader Recommendations and Author Chats. Books are ranked as to how scary they are and content warnings given. A good mix of horror classics and newer works as well as horror adjacent titles. There is something for everyone. Thank you so much, Krasmus from Canada. That is lovely and it made my day. So thank you for taking time out of your day to do that. If you would like your review read on the podcast, just take a moment to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts as I mentioned earlier. Another way to support the podcast is to become a Patreon supporter. It's pretty easy. You just go to patreon.com slash books in the freezer. There are three tiers of support with kind of different perks at each level. Um, So look through that and see if that sounds interesting to you. We have things like Foxer group chats, movie nights, bonus episodes, and stuff like that. So that again is patreon.com slash books in the freezer. 
I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that is That's With Two A's. So have a lovely 2023 listeners. I am so excited to plan out some great episodes for this year, talking to some great people, getting into some fun kind of niche topics that I've been wanting to do for a while. So thank you so much and see you next time on Books in the Freezer.